the most important question you will ever have to answer, and one that everyone will someday answer, is quite simply, who is Jesus? And everything will depend on your answer to that question. You know, it makes no difference how you answer the question, who is George Washington? There are really no consequences to answering it wrong, unless, of course, it's being asked in a test or a game. But your answer to the question, who is Jesus, affects everything, your past, your present, and your future. So who is Jesus? How do you answer that question? Now, don't answer it too quickly. In fact, before you answer it, you really need to think about it. And in our text for today, Jesus got the disciples thinking about it by first asking them what the world thought. We're in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 and 19. And it came about that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he questioned them, saying, Who do the multitudes say that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. But others, that one of the prophets of old has risen again. Luke begins this pericope. And don't you love that word? In case you haven't added it to your vocabulary, and my spell checker hadn't, it thought I meant periscope. Uh, and when I first read it in the commentary, where the author used it several times on one page, he really liked it too. I did think it was pronounced like periscope, only without the S. It comes from the Greek, and it means a selection from a book or a passage of Scripture, and that's your Bill O'Reilly word for the day. <laughs> Anyway, Luke begins this pericope with the words, and it came about. He doesn't give any indication of passage of time, but it's actually been several months since the feeding of the 5,000. Since then, Peter has walked on the water, and Jesus has been confronted by the Pharisees on at least two occasions. They've traveled north to the Mediterranean coast, where Jesus cast the unclean spirit out of the daughter of a Gentile woman, south into the Decapolis, where he healed a deaf man, and back to the shores of the Sea of Galilee, where he fed the 4,000 and healed a blind man. They are now in the area of Caesarea Philippi, possibly on the slopes of Mount Hermon, and Jesus is praying. And this is something that Luke seems to make special note of. He records seven times when Jesus prayed alone, before his baptism, as his fame began to increase, before he chose the twelve, and here, before asking who they thought him to be, before the transfiguration, before he taught the disciples how to pray, and in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest. So this is apparently a very important moment in Jesus' life. He's about to ask a question that will reveal whether or not he is getting through to his disciples. After preparing himself with prayer, he gathered the disciples together and asked them, Who do the multitudes say that I am? Now, he didn't ask who the multitudes thought him to be because he needed the information. He knew what they thought. He just wanted the disciples to think about the question because it would lead up to him asking the same question again, but on a very personal level. Well, the disciples reported that the people thought him to be John the Baptist, risen from the dead, or Elijah or Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets of old come back to life. Apparently everyone recognized him to be supernatural because everyone they thought him to be 
had died. They thought highly of Jesus. But like so many in our world today, they did not think highly enough. Now, Muslims think him to be a prophet. One of the five major prophets sent by God throughout history to guide mankind. Buddhists see him as an enlightened teacher. Jehovah's Witnesses, Unitarians, and Christian scientists believe that Jesus was divinely inspired, but not God incarnate. Latter-day Saints believe him to be Jehovah of the Old Testament who offered to come to earth to provide a way for the salvation and exaltation of as many of God the Father's spirit children as would follow Jesus through repentance and divine grace. That's a little convoluted, but that's what they believe. Atheists, agnostics, and humanists see him as an ordinary human being, albeit one of the most influential people in history, and, of course, unbelieving Jews consider him to be a false Messiah. That's a survey of what others think of Jesus. Compliments of Wikipedia. And now that we and the disciples have thought about what others think of Jesus, it's time to get personal. And Jesus did so by next asking what the disciples thought. Verses 20 through 22. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Now, it's interesting to note what others think of Jesus. And knowing what they believe does help prepare us to interact with them more effectively and to answer questions they might have about the differences between their views and ours. But the question moves from an academic one to a very personal one when Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And that's a question we must answer on an individual basis. I'll never forget Professor Strauss telling us of an exchange he had with a lady in a church he was visiting one Sunday. When she asked him what we believe about something in particular, he responded by saying, my dear, it really doesn't matter what we believe. What do you believe? Now, we are probably taking aback by his harsh response almost as much as she was. And he may have gone a little too far to make a point. Obviously, it does matter what we believe as a church. But it's important that we not only play lip service to the beliefs of our church and never really consider what they mean. You know, every one of us must answer the question, but who do you say? I am. And Jesus was looking for a specific answer here. He was not fishing for pluralistic opinions about his identity that would be of equal value. He wasn't hoping one disciple would say one thing and another something else, and they would then affirm the right to hold differing opinions without judging the validity of any one opinion. He was looking for the right answer. And Peter, being true to his impetuous nature, spoke up first with the right answer, the Christ of God. Now, Matthew expands it a bit. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus confirmed the rightness of his answer by saying, Blessed are you, Simon Barzona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter was right. Jesus was the long-awaited Christ, the Messiah. He had answered the question correctly. But then Jesus told them to tell no one. He warned them that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. 
Now, obviously, he will later commission them to tell everyone. But for now, they were to tell no one. Why? Because there were a lot of mistaken ideas about the Messiah and how he would bring freedom to the Jews. Most were looking for a military leader who would lead them in overthrowing Rome. They certainly weren't looking for a Messiah who would suffer and be rejected by the Jewish authorities and be killed. And quite frankly, neither was Peter. In fact, he apparently didn't even hear Jesus add and be raised up on the third day. When he heard Jesus say he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, he cried, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Peter was telling the one he had just declared to be the Christ of God what he could and could not do. Jesus countered his audacity with, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. For you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Peter knew the right answer, but he didn't know what it meant. And that's the danger in catechizing church members and children in particular. Just parroting the right answer does not mean you understand it. If you're going to say that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you better understand what that entails and how that truth is to impact your life. And Jesus didn't leave the disciples or us guessing as how that should be. Verses 23 through 26. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Forever, for whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my word, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Even though Peter recognized who Jesus was, he still thought he should be able to tell Jesus what to do. And that sounds shocking, but I'm afraid Peter's not the only one who's tried to do just that. Many of us have expectations of the Lord that he never promised to meet. And we're disappointed when he doesn't do what we think he should do. Peter was shocked when Jesus said he would be killed. And he was probably even more shocked when Jesus went on to state that anyone who wished to follow after him would have to deny himself and take up his cross daily. Peter knew what it meant to take up a cross. The Romans had made certain that everyone knew what it meant to take up a cross. They had lined the highways with the crosses of those who had dared to challenge their authority. And we tend to think we're bearing a cross when we're burdened by something. But a cross is an instrument of death, not a wheelbarrow for hauling around an inconvenience. To take up a cross is to crucify self. It's to die to what we want. It's to relax the grip on our life and entrust it to Him. It's to give up trying to get everything now so we can share in the glories of heaven in the future. No, we can't have it all. If our goal is to have it all now, we will lose everything in the end. But if we're willing to go to a cross, as was Jesus, we can look forward to living again, as did he. Peter didn't yet understand that. 
A crucified Christ made no sense to him. In fact, he was shocked and embarrassed by the very thought of it. But Jesus went on to say, if we're ashamed of him and what he has to say, he will be ashamed of us when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. We may not fully understand all that he has told us. And some of it will not find acceptance in a pluralistic society. But we must believe what he said, especially about himself, if we would benefit from what he has done. Who is Jesus? He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And while some might raise doubts about that claim because we have no record of Jesus actually saying it in so many words, he did make it very clear to the high priest when he was on trial. When asked, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One, he responded, I am. A very unique response, by the way. I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. In the precise, that was blasphemy and enough to condemn Jesus to death. So who is Jesus? The world thinks different things. And some Christians, while saying the right thing, really don't understand what they're saying. But make no mistake, you must answer it. And you must answer it correctly and with understanding. When it comes to Jesus, we face what some have called the Jesus trilemma. He was either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. C.S. Lewis made that very plain in Mere Christianity. He writes, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claims to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Who is Jesus? He's the Christ. The Son of the living God. Who came to earth died on the cross to save us from our sins, who then rose from the dead and who will come back in glory. If you believe that, and if you've made that truth the foundation of your life, you have built on the solid rock. And if you do believe it, but have not yet answered the question personally, I invite you to come. And do so today. Let's stand.